With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swinging a high deep drive in the right field. That one stalled to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Presented by SB Nation. It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Here comes a 1-2 pitch. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. High deep He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Wow! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Got it! 300 strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale. An absolute strikeout machine. 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. They're all loaded. High fly ball, deep in the left center field. Get out Way back it carries. And that ball is gone! The Red Sox walk it off in style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes. Fly ball to deep left center field. Devers has hit it out! The rookie takes Chapman the other way to tie the game. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of both Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to another edition of this show. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Back on that weekly grind. Baseball's happening. It's sunny. That's that's baseball weather right there, man. Yeah, it's awesome. It's nice to be back. We are officially back weekly now that there are spring training games. Um, we introduced you to some of those last week. So now it's full time for everybody to watch spring baseball and overreact to what we see. So we decided that uh, that would be kind of the first thing that we would do on this show today is kick it off with some overreacting to small sample sizes. And uh, it's always fun to do so. We don't take these too seriously, but we'll, we're going to touch on some news. Um, that's going to be the first mm-hmm. thing. Talk about these, these uh, hot starts. And then Keaton and I are going to go through and predict the opening lineup, opening day uh, lineup and 26-man roster for this Red Sox team. Um, It's an exercise that you've probably seen a lot. We did one on Over the Monster. Matt uh, had his first draft of that, or actually second draft. Matt's second draft. Um, Jen McCaffrey has done one over at The Athletic. Um, I think Pete Abraham has done it as well. So there's a lot of people in the industry doing it. So we decided we would get in on the fun, uh, talk through our logic a little bit, And then finally, we're going to answer all of your listener questions. So let's get right to it. Um, Maybe the story of the spring so far has been Jaron Duran, Red Sox outfield prospect. Um, So far, over 11 at-bats, so not a a lot. Um, Jaron Duran is hitting 455, 500 with a 909 slugging. That includes a triple and a home run. Uh, He has been caught stealing once. Uh, Jaron Duran, what do you make of the hot start? I love it. Um, we actually talked about him a lot last season, obviously with his hot start. Um, and there was a a point in time in the season when he was leading all of the minor leagues and batting average, they got bumped up to double a hit a bit of a speed bump, but had a much better second half, kept that going, had a pretty good run in the Arizona fall league. And it's just really kind of continued to be on a tear here in spring training. Um, 
And I mean, you're right. He's kind of like the talk of the town around the Red Sox right now. And uh, Alex Spear had a piece. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, talking to some folks down at spring training, he had a quote from an AL scout that he would not be shocked if Duran hit 30 home runs in a season. Um, says, will it happen? No one really expected to after eight homers in 800 plate appearances, but he's a great athlete with speed, great hand-eye coordination, uh, may have unlocked something with an offensive swing adjustment. Would you be shocked if uh, at one point Duran hit 30 homers in a season? I would fall over in my chair um, if, if that ever happened. Um, with that's ridiculous. That's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, I don't know. I mean, has this scout ever seen Jaron Duran in person? Like the dude is, he's not big. He's, he's fast. He's athletic looking, but man, like, yeah. I don't know where he sees that power. I mean, so um, John uh, Calvano, I think is his last name. The scouting, the Sally guy um, who is, you know, awesome guy to follow on Twitter. If you don't, he um, tweeted out Jaron Duran's home run, and one of the things that I commented on it was like, oh, man, this bat speed. Like, Jaron Duran's got some bat speed right now because he really got into one. So I do think that's impressive, and I think he could probably be a double digits home run guy with that bat speed and the swing adjustment. But 30 home runs seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are examples, though, of guys who have, like, main, uh, I guess, calling card in their skill set is their hit tool. And they get to the majors and they end up hitting for more power than what was expected. Like uh, Francisco Lindor, who obviously is a guy who hit more than 30 home runs in a season. But in the minors, he was a guy that was thought to like peak out at like 12 to 15. Um, but really, his hit tool was his carrying tool. And then he got to the majors and put both of them together and now hits for power and average and steals some bases. So I guess... Uh, and that's not the only example. Uh, Alex Verdugo is actually an example of another one uh, last year. Um, so, I mean, there, there are those guys who they just they hit baseballs well and the rest kind of just follows. So maybe he is one of those guys. Um, 30 seems a little absurd, but I wouldn't. I mean, like 15, like 15, 15 seasons, uh, I think, are definitely within reach. Maybe his peak is uh, 2020. I could see, hey, I could see 15, 15, maybe, maybe some year coming into 2020. I could see, you know, 15, 20, 15, 25 being kind of the normal if he ever gets everyday playing time because he is so athletic. And I do think that one of the things that's really interesting with Jaron Duran is that hit tool um, that seems to be getting better as he advances through the minors. Uh, I think initial grades on that hit tool when he came out were 50 uh, was the potential for that. But I think it's a potential 55, possibly even 60 hit tool if uh, he continues this type of development. Because last year when he was in high A, I mean, he absolutely annihilated that league. He he batted 387 with a 456 OBP. Um, but then he struggled at double A Portland uh, to the tune of an 87 WRC plus. So He's probably going to get his start back in Portland this year, and it's going to be really interesting to see how much of that uh, Jaron Duran can carry over uh, and if he can adjust to double-A. Uh, and I think he can. I, I, I'm confident in that. And then, you know, he's not too far from the big leagues. I definitely see a potential Jackie Bradley Jr. replacement. Um, but I think that with his spring performance, people are kind of banking on that as kind of a, a, a lock. and. I think the floor for him is still a fourth outfielder. Um, that's a very real possibility and maybe one that we don't talk about enough that there's there's a lot of potential that he's just not good enough to be a regular. Yeah, for sure. And particularly with his profile, because if he really all he's bringing is defense and speed, uh, then he's not going to get nearly the at-bats that we kind of anticipate from him. So, I mean, it's... I guess fourth outfielder is a higher floor than a lot of prospects, though. So that's not like a, a terrible thing to have, considering they actually really didn't have a fourth outfielder um, all of last season. So yeah, um, there's certainly a role for it and a need for it on the team. But um, I think based on how – I mean, he's been pretty hyped uh, even before he was destroying um, – 
lot of folks were talking about him being a, a prospect on the rise, uh, just being held back by the power. So I I feel like there's enough helium that he'll be able to be better than that. But I mean, you're absolutely right. There's always that possibility for sure. Yeah. Uh, exciting guy nonetheless, though. And like you said, it's a good outcome. Uh, even, even if he is a fourth outfielder, that's still a good outcome for a prospect. So it's not like, it's not like he's a lock top 100 guy for anybody. So he will be useful. Uh, speaking of being useful, Sue Whalen, um, somebody who is very useful. Uh, so far this spring, he's batting 400. 438, 400, over 15 at-bats. Uh, not really doing a whole lot with the power, but Sue Whalen is hitting. He's getting on base, and he can play basically anywhere on the diamond, uh, outfield, infield. This is really good for his chances of sticking on the roster. Uh, and I know we'll, we'll, we'll get to our projections later, but spoiler, I have him making this team. Yeah, and I think you, you even had him making the team um, when we did – roster projections with salaries like back in I don't know like October that was a long time ago but I think you even had him yeah then you've been you've been on him pretty much this entire time and I think this is really just kind of cementing that I agree with you I'm not sure I don't really see anybody else that would make the roster over him and particularly with his position flexibility I'm not sure why he wouldn't um and this is just kind of um not rewarding the faith but it's good that he'll be around because they're going to need some help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the fact that he can go out and play that outfield position is what sells it for me. Um, so it's good. It's good. And he's a guy who's out of options too, so he really needs this. Yep, sure does. Um, next guy, Andrew Benintendi. Um, he was one of our big questions last week, and we both landed on the side of him – having a big year this year in 2020 and he came into sh- the, to camp in better shape. We talked about that last week and so far on the baseball field, you know, it's only been eight at bats, but he has looked very comfortable at the plate. Um, 375, 444, 750 with a home run and a stolen base. He looks fast out there. His reactions look good. Um, he is attacking the baseball when he's in the box. He's not waiting I really like what I've seen in a minuscule sample size from Andrew Benintendi, and it makes me encouraged that both of us were bullish on him. Yeah, me too. Um, it's it's a small sample size and it's spring training, so it's hard to really dig into anything that's happened. Um, and, I mean, spring training is really just kind of hard to judge anyway, but when guys are struggling in spring training, it's easy to kind of take that seriously than, versus like when guys are – have been stronger. Uh, but Benetton is a guy that we were looking to basically take that jump, as you said. So uh, him not struggling points to that. He's kind of maybe figured out whatever it was he needed to figure out. I mean, he wasn't a bad player last year. Um, he started to have some platoon splits pop up, um, struck out a bit more, but he was still stealing bases, had a pretty decent amount of pop, um, was still double digit walk rate. So, I mean, the foundation is clearly there for him to be successful. So this is a nice positive step. Yeah, very encouraging. Absolutely. Um, next guy, Kevin Ploiecki, um, battling for that backup catcher job with Jonathan Lucroy. And we'll talk a little bit more about what we think about that. We hit on that last week as well. But Ploiecki is definitely going to make this decision hard. Um, he has eight at-bats so far this spring. Four hits uh, in those eight at bats with a 500, 556, 500 line. Um, Kevin Plawecki has looked good with the stick, and that is not a calling card of his. I mean, he's definitely better than Sandy Leone with the bat, but he's not exactly known as an offensive powerhouse. Yeah, this is one of one of those ones that I like. I'm not sure what to make of it, and then it just being spring. Like, is it just because it's spring, or um, is he starting to maybe figure some things out at the play? Because if he is. It actually kind of makes things a lot more interesting. And last time on the last podcast, I had said that I was looking for Luke Croy to make the team, and I've been kind of impressed with how he could be a leader in the clubhouse. But if Pulecki actually just like tears it up the rest of the spring, um, 
that would definitely make some things interesting. I would not expect the Red Sox to uh, keep all three, even though they technically started last year with three catchers because that's why hard. But I wouldn't expect that to happen again. They would love if they could keep all three, though. If there was some way that they could sneak one of these guys through, uh, they would love that. But I just don't think they're going to be able to. Well, I think technically they could with Luke Roy, right? Because that was a minor league contract. So they could start him in AAA? I think they could, but I just don't know if... Like, wouldn't another team have an opportunity to pick him up? After spring training, like is I guess I don't know. I mean, that contract, other, team, other teams had all winter too, and they went basically into spring training and hadn't. I think with you know I don't know, and this is one of the things I, I remain a little ignorant to when talking about team uh, control and things like that. I think with these minor league contracts that there's an expiration point on them towards the end of spring training, which will allow them to sort of test the market if they don't make the team. Um, but I'm not 100% positive on that. That's something I, I've got to look up a little bit more, to be fair. I don't know either. I mean, it also could be that they just used the 26th spot for a third catcher, which I'm yeah. not sure would be the best way to do it. Has Pwecky played first? I don't know. Because that also might. I mean, if he has the ability to play another position beside, besides catcher, then maybe they do keep all three. Yeah. And he actually gets some rotation outside of the dish. I think it's highly unlikely they would keep three, but I do too. Yes, it's possible. Let's get to some pitchers. Uh, we've been talking about how the Red Sox are sort of short some arms for a while in the <laughs> fifth spot, um, being the notable vacancy. But we did get some news this year. Um, just recently, that Chris Sale would start the year on the IL due to the pneumonia um, that he was having, which caused him to be a few weeks behind in his throwing program. So he's not going to be the opening day starter. That means that there's going to be room for not just one starter, but two. And a guy that you've been talking about for a while here now um, has been looking pretty good. Uh, Brian Johnson, four innings pitched so far this spring, zero earned runs, four strikeouts, and zero walks. Seems like Mr. Johnson is going to make this team. Yeah, this is really encouraging. Um, I have been talking about him a lot, not always in a positive way, but I have been saying his name a lot. Um, but we're probably going to be relying on him a lot more than we want to, given the state of the starting pitching. So this is real encouraging, and I am very happy to see that he's having success so far. He's a guy that I take with a grain of salt, even when he's having success, because I don't particularly like this stuff. I don't think there's a ton to to love about it. You know, he's more of a control command guy. And sometimes when he doesn't have that, he gets absolutely obliterated. Yeah. Um, so a lot needs to go right for Brian Johnson to succeed. But again, I don't look at this and see that many options that are more inspiring than Brian Johnson at this point. And if he's throwing well for a couple of weeks, like, Hell, let's let's give Brian Johnson those three starts that Chris Sale can't take. Yep. Why not? Absolutely. Yeah. You could do worse. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez. This is great news. Um, right. Eduardo Rodriguez uh, had the the knee scare from falling off the mound, um, but he so far in spring training has thrown three innings pitched, zero earned runs, six strikeouts, zero walks, and then reportedly struck out Devers like five times in a row or something like that uh, doing like live BP endeavors was incredibly frustrated that he could not hit Erod. So um, apparently Erod's fine and throwing some heat. Yeah, this is real exciting. Um, just, I mean, I don't know how many times we're going to talk about the state of the starting pitching and the rotation in general, but yeah, I mean, he's going to have to be like, basically a horse all season and be a guy that can go another 200 innings and be very effective with it. Um, and it doesn't take much to throw him off and put him on the IL for like two months. So when you said that he, uh, like had knee soreness, thankfully it was the opposite knee that he'd had the surgery on, but 
nonetheless, it didn't take much for it to happen. A little worried that maybe even that this was going to, I mean, remember the, the first time it happened with his knee, like we thought it was going to be two weeks and it turned into two months and they ended up missing like the rest of the year. Kept getting pushed back. So I was worried the same thing was going to happen here where like he was going to get like warm up on Saturday, get ready to pitch. And then it would get pushed back and nothing would happen. And then it would kind of bleed into the season and then we would be down sale any rod, but it was really encouraging to see that he was actually going to go out there and then even more so with the results. I mean, I don't think we could have asked for anything better, really. Uh, six strikeouts in three innings. Um, he had a, got into a bit of a jam, I think, in the second. We let off the inning with back-to-back base hits, but got out of it with a strikeout and a double play and really had himself a game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with everything you said. So <clears throat> very, very encouraging. I mean, can't say much more than that yeah. about it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. And speaking of encouraging. Uh, I, oh, my God. So <laughs> I'm losing my mind over this you are. next guy. Uh, yeah, the collective madness has set in. Um, Nate Eovaldi, we, we need to talk about this. So he's had two outings now this spring. Uh, combined five innings pitched, zero earned runs, eight Ks, zero walks. And the best tweet ever about this from Alex Spear, which for some reason I did not um, retweet, which I don't know why I didn't, so I'll retweet it right now. But this is the tweet. Unfair second inning for Nate Eovaldi versus the Braves. He struck out the side, Alonzo on a curveball, Swanson on a heater, Inciardi on a split. For hitters trying to get their timing, facing a guy already sitting high 90s with a four-pitch mix in the spring is a joke of a task. That was amazing. <laughs> Nate Eovaldi fully has his arsenal right now, and it's glorious. Yeah, now we just need to see it for a healthy season, and uh, they're going to need it. Yeah, they, they really need this. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is the thing that we're talking about, though. You know, th- if if all of a sudden we have Chris Sale after these three, you know, non-starts, if he comes back and he's Chris Sale, if Erod is the horse we're talking about, if Eovaldi pitches like he has the potential to pitch like, um, and Martin Perez has actually figured something out with that new pitch, I mean, you could be talking about a playoff team here. The ceiling remains for this team, and this is the type of stuff that is going to keep me absolutely obsessed with this team for the entire season because there's just everything could go right here, and we could have a really good baseball team. That is certainly a possibility. I am am excited for this team. I am uh, just not as optimistic, but I am looking forward to how these guys are going to perform, and particularly Ivaldi, because obviously last season was a letdown, especially after signing the big contract. But I mean, if he comes out and he's pitching like this every start, then everyone's going to shut up about how much money he's making. I mean, it's going to look like a deal. It's, yeah, you're right. It will. Yeah. All right, a couple other notes. Uh, Mitch Moreland was removed from the game today because he tweaked his left hamstring. Um, This is really only notable because, you know, Moreland's getting up there in age, and if Moreland, for whatever reason, if this nags him and he has to start the season on the IL, this would open up the spot that we're looking for for Bobby Dahlbeck. And that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, Do you think... Well, would it happen right away? Or, I mean, do you think they're going to, they would have Peraza every day at second, Chavis every day at first, and in like a month or two, then Dahlbeck would be up? I think that Dahlbeck would get a bench roll um, because all of a sudden Peraza and Chavis would be playing every day, and that would open up a bench spot for Dahlbeck. So I think he would play sometimes if, for whatever reason, Moreland had to start the season on the, on the IL. Would it be better for him think... to be having everyday at-bats in AAA versus a bench roll at the majors? I don't think so because I don't see it as permanent, right? Unless he comes up 
Um, and in the days that he does get playing time, he does extremely well. And then he would just simply take the role that would have belonged to Javis. Probably. That's the most likely scenario uh, in my mind for how this would work out. Yeah. All right. So, I don't, you know, I, I, I think that more likely than not, you're right. He's going to be down in AAA getting every day at bats because he needs that. But would would it shock me if, if he did a lot with those at bats in the major leagues? No, not necessarily. Um, I do like the at bats that he's taking. I know those numbers haven't been super impressive uh, in spring training, but he doesn't look bad to me. No, I guess I, um, I wouldn't be shocked either. I guess I'm just expecting it to, for him to at least to start in AAA, but it wouldn't shock me either if he just came up and had success. He's that kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Last thing, uh, Devers smashed a home run over center field today. Uh, it was glorious. And I just wanted to kind of end on that because he's great. It's a great large child. Sure yeah. is. Happy to have that man back. All right. Roster projections. Let's get to him, Keaton. Um, okay. So for our starting lineups, we had the exact same starting lineup except for one thing. Yep. Um, and it's pretty predictable what that one thing was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I will give you our starting lineups. Uh, we have Andrew Benintendi uh, leading off, Rafael Devers, um, Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Mitch Moreland. Uh, I have Jose Peraza. Uh, you have Michael Chavis. Uh, Christian Vasquez, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Kevin Pillar. Um I will say this. I'm not convinced that Peraza is going to get more time than Chavis because I kind of do buy into what we've been talking about over the last couple podcasts about Chavis finding his way into the 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 game more, more like a regular. I think he's going to play some second, some first, especially if Mitch Moreland, anything's bothering him health-wise. He's probably going to play a lot there. But I think that he's he might play more first than second, which is the reason why I put Jose Peraza there. So how do you see that first base, second base thing? Has anything changed for you? Do you think that he's going to play more at second base than he does at first base? I don't know. Um, I think I've said from the beginning, I think that it's really like a three-way platoon. And I think he'll get time at both. And he'll have like mostly every day at bats where he'll be playing at second. And then, uh, you know, depending on the handed of the pitcher, Moreland will get in, so he'll play playing at second or he'll give someone a day off or whatever. So I just think he's going to – he'll be moved around a lot and basically be platooned with Moreland and Peraza. Um, I just stuck him there because I think um, to start, because I think that's how the opening day lineup will look. Um, but I really think Chavis and Peraza are, are probably interchangeable at this point. I mean, and even with Moreland. Yeah, I would agree. I would totally agree with that. Um, and I think that that's what kind of makes our benches uh, interesting, too, because we're kind of assuming that three-way platoon like you were talking about. And both of us have a bench of Jonathan Lucroy winning out that backup catcher's job with either Chavis or Peraza taking a seat um, or or Moreland out of that three three-man platoon. Sue Lin making the team and, and Jonathan Arouse making the team. Um, he's one that I went back and forth on and he's the one that maybe on this whole roster, um, other than maybe a couple bullpen discrepancies, but in terms of position players, Jonathan Arauz is the guy who I'm least sure about making this team. Yeah, he was for me too. I just didn't see any other options or really anything that interests me, uh, in terms of position players. Um, the bullpen, I think the bottom of the bullpen just has so many guys that are just meh. They really could just kind of flip them around. Um, and I felt like a three-man bench was a little thin, especially with mm-hmm. six-man roster options. So uh, I just landed on him as being there because I think they want another position player and I uh, just think he was the option. I mean, I guess if... Um, I guess Dahlbach in your uh, scenario you just laid out a couple minutes ago could be... Um, but that was also assuming Moreland ended up on the IL, so I guess he would still be there. 
in that scenario as well. So, yeah, yeah, I just think he was of the other ones, other position players available. He was the only one that I had like the slightest interest in. Yeah, you know, um, Jen McCaffrey in her roster projections had Marco Hernandez making the team over him. And I don't necessarily disagree with that as a possibility because, first of all, Ron Renneke is familiar with Marco Hernandez. We think he is better offensively than what he showed last year. And Jonathan Raz hasn't played that much uh, in his career. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's a career minor leaguer at this point. He hasn't even played professional baseball. The, the only thing is, if he's not on the 26th man, he's going to get returned because he's a Rule 5 pick. But um, there's a pretty strong argument that Marco Hernandez is the better baseball player right now. Could be. Um, and he had shown, obviously, a lot of progress in coming back from his injuries. So, but I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's also possible. I mean, the other piece to this is um, Marco Hernandez is not on the 40 man, and obviously, Arouse is. Right. So, Hernandez would need to be added to it. And um, we already both think that. Brian Johnson is going to be added to the 40 man. And I believe um, there's uh, actually the last, I don't know if this is actually correct now, but the last update that I saw, which was from like two weeks ago. So this definitely could have changed was that they were at 38, I think it was either 38 or 39. So maybe there is room for the two of them, but I wouldn't expect to, non 40 man members to be added and make the roster. I would definitely push back on that a little bit. I think that this 40 man roster, um, which currently sits at 40 men, it actually does have 40 40 right now. It is a full 40. Um, There are so many names on here that I think are absolutely cuttable off of this 40 man without much thought. I'm just going to name a few of them right now. Um, Matt Hall is one. Uh, who you could cut. Um, Colton Brewer, who I think can be cut. Um, we'll talk about him later. I think Heath Hembry, even though a lot of people are projecting him to make that team, this, I mean, he's no different to me than a lot of the other relievers there. Phillips Valdez, who they picked up. Chris Mazza, who they picked up. Um, Josh Osich. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys on this team who don't necessarily need to be there. You know what I'm saying? Um, that are relatively interchangeable with a lot of these fifth starter type potential guys that they have in these back end bullpen arms, like that you already said. Um, you kind of you know throw throw one at the dartboard, and it might be just as good as the other one. Um, we really don't know. So I think any of those spots could potentially uh, go to one of those two guys being added. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I do not disagree with the names that you mentioned just cutting and feeling no remorse about it at all. So there are certain ways to do it. And we don't know how Bloom necessarily feels about a lot of those guys. The one thing I will say is if Bloom went out and picked up a bunch of these guys, I think he's probably going to end up wanting to use at least a couple of them which is one of the things that factored into my choice to put Jonathan Arouse on this bench because you don't typically grab a guy in the Rule 5 draft if you don't feel strongly about him, even though this dude only has 28 games at AA right now. Um, I mean, that's as far as he's gotten. So he would have a big adjustment if he was going to play in the big leagues. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, rotation. Uh, We, I believe, have the exact same rotation. Is that correct? We do. Uh, we flip flopped the fourth and fifth starters, but they're same people. Okay, Which, so we have at this point, really doesn't matter. We have Erod as the ace, uh, Nate Eovaldi, Martin Perez, Ryan Weber, and Brian Johnson. Uh, do yeah. you? We've kind of hit on every single one of those guys. Do you want to talk about any of those dudes? Nope. Okay. Moving on to the bullpen. This is probably where things got most interesting. So, guys that we shared in common on our bullpens. We both have Workman as the closer. We have Matt Barnes, Josh Taylor, Darwins and Hernandez, Marcus Walden. And then we have three different guys. 
right? Do you not have Brazier? I do have Brazier. Do you have Brazier as well? Yes. Okay. So, uh, so we have two different guys. Um, so yeah. let's let's we're gonna we're gonna ignore the top five. Let's talk about Brazier for a second here. We both agree that Brazier is going to make this roster. What is it that convinces you that Ryan Brazier is going to make the roster? Because he is 32 years old. He's a righty. He had a great season in 2018, and he had a really off season last year in 2019. What, what are, what's your thought here? Yeah, I mean, there was a point where he was the closer of the team. Um, I mean, I guess there's a point where, like, everybody was the closer of the team last year. So I'm not sure how yeah. much stock that goes into it. But he, when his stuff is good, I mean, he's a pretty useful arm um, to the point where they trusted him to close games. Um, yeah, go great, but they trusted him, trusted it to happen. Um, and I think that in the right role, he can flourish. And that role would be just a flat middle reliever, not one of the top three high leverage options. Um, but he can be a very useful arm who has experience in high leverage situations. So maybe, um, if you need to get it out in the seventh, he's someone you can turn to, but. Um, so I just felt like the, um, I don't know about trust factor, but, um, they had relied on him in the past. And so it seemed like an easy fallback. Yeah. And and the guy who we both kind of replaced, uh, Brazier, who we replaced with Brazier, uh, on both of our lineups was Heath Hembry, uh, who's also a right-hander a year younger. Um, but I think we both see Brazier as having the higher ceiling than yeah. Heath Hembry, which makes him the more interesting righty to us. Yep. I mean, I know Hembry had his injury issues and that contributed to his poor year last year as well. But like you said, I think Brazier has the higher ceiling. And I just think I've seen enough of Hembry that I don't, it just doesn't, doesn't move the needle for me. And I think the other thing that plays into this too is the fact that this is Bloom's roster that he's putting together and he has no ties to Hembry either, you know? So I don't think he's going to feel like he owes Hembry some sort of a job. Yeah. Good point. All right. So let's get to the two spots that we had different. Um, For me, uh, the guys that I went with was lefty Jeffrey Springs and uh, righty, Austin Bryce. So let me talk about Springs first um, because he's going to be the other lefty here. Uh, He's the third lefty, actually. Uh, He came over from the Texas Rangers. Last year with Texas, he threw 32.1 innings pitched. He has a 640 ERA, though. He got absolutely clobbered last year. What I do like about him is that uh, he has pretty good stuff. He's got a good fastball changeup combination. He does pitch from the left side. He's 27 years old. He gets strikeouts. Um, I think that there's a lot that I like here, and I think if Bloom targeted him, there's something that Bloom in the pitching department sees in Springs. And I just think I would like to see him over some of the other options because when I look at the package of raw tools here, it's a little bit more enticing than some of the other guys. That's fair. Um, I mean, I don't really have a rebuttal to that. I think this is the part where a lot of these guys are interchangeable. And so I just went with two guys that I thought worked, but I really don't have any pushback on the guys you chose either. And that's pretty fair analysis. Yeah. I think at this point it's kind of dark. And I'll hit on the other guy. Um, the other guy that I chose was Austin Bryce. He's also 27 years old. Um, he pitches from the right side. He's a fastball curveball guy with above average ish command. Uh, last year with the Marlins, he struck out over a batter per inning uh, his walks were relatively in control. He had a 3.43 ERA. Um, I, I just like that Bloom with these two guys that he, he acquired here. Acquired guys who are in their prime, who have interesting stuff, uh, who have had some success in the past. Um, 
And I would just like to see how those arms play on the team. Uh, not necessarily like they're way better than some of the other options, but these are the two that I thought were most interesting and had the most upside. So that's why I went with them. But you went with Josh Osich and Colton Brewer. Um, now, so tell me why you went with those two. Well, you kind of mentioned it that um, Osich they acquired. And so at some point in this roster, you would think Bloom is going to stick with someone he acquired. Um, yep. And so I just felt like maybe this is where it is. <laughs> so um, that's really all I have on the reasoning for that. Uh, and then Brewer, uh, Brewer's 27 um, and was named along with Taylor as uh, the two guys that specifically Cora was watching throughout the offseason and working with on their pitches and looking to take a major step this season. Um, so I am hoping that that's the case. Um, he has obviously struggled with walks mightily. Um, so hopefully that kind of uh, gets under control. But he's a guy that's you know entering his prime at 27 um, and was someone that Cora had zoned in on as someone that he saw that could really contribute to the team and was looking for taking a step forward. So I'm uh, mainly just piggybacking off of that, hoping that that's the case and that he does take a step forward. I like the Colton Brewer pick a lot, uh, and I also agree with you that we're gonna see we're gonna see one of those guys in Osich or Bryce or Springs or multiple of those guys that he that that Bloom went out and acquired in this pen. I think that we're gonna see the stamp somewhere. Um, but watching Colton Brewer pitch in the spring, his stuff is just so nasty when it's on, and this is the thing that we noticed with him last year too. Um, it moves so much that I feel like sometimes he doesn't have quite control over where it's moving. Um, and that can be frustrating at times. So I think Brewer Brewer has a high ceiling and that's what we're looking for in this bullpen, but he's also very unreliable. So if he has made adjustments and he can control that nasty stuff better, I mean, he could, he could potentially be, a later innings type guy, like a guy that they go to in high leverage situations in the sixth and seventh, um, because he has that type of ceiling to him. He's really interesting uh, to me. And I would be pissed if they kept someone like Heath Hembry instead of Brewer, if they decided not to go with one of the other guys like Brazier, like if, if they, if they thought that Brazier just didn't have it, um, I'd be pissed if they kept Hembry over, over Brewer. Yeah, me too. That is one that would really annoy me. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so those are going to be the things really to watch uh, as the as the season gets closer. Um, yeah. And I wasn't impressed with Maza uh, when I saw him, so I don't think he has a chance. But you never know. All right. Shall we get to some listener questions? Yes, we shall. Keith Kaito has the first one at Five Tool Nerd. He says, "Do you see Bloom acquiring some sort of a starter to fill in behind Sale, Erod, Ivaldi, Perez? I don't think the opener would be good and ideal given uh, all year and given Sale's delayed start. They need someone else for the first few weeks. Um, I think we both think that it's they're not going to acquire anybody, right? No, yeah, I think it'll be internal. There's also, um." They could retroactive him his 15 days um, to, I think, like March 23rd to technically like when the league year starts. So he could be activated for the home opener, which would mean that he would only miss one turn through the rotation. Um, That would be his best case scenario. Um, So I guess depending on his ramp up. So they might um, end with the day off after the first game. Um, They could just pitch Erod twice uh, and not actually need a fifth starter. That I wouldn't be sure. shocked if that's what they tried to do. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Worst case scenario for Chris Sale, I think, throughout this thing is that he misses three starts um, based on the timing yeah. of it. But I think you're right that there's a real – possibility especially given what we know about chris sale that you know he misses one start and then is back yep 
All right, next one comes from Let's Go Tribe, our uh, our SB Nation affiliate for the Indians, and he asks us a question that we are uniquely tuned <laughs> to answer. Uh, how can I emotionally prepare for my franchise to trade away its best player? You care. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it happens, it's going to be shocking, even though like we spent the better part of, what, a year and a half talking about the possibility? Yep of this happening and then it happened and like keaton you were very much not prepared no still. no literally every week we had talked about it for at least a year and it still felt like a gut punch when it happened i was much less emotional about it <laughs> you're soulless i i was <laughs> i was a little soulless here um what i did essentially was i just tried to understand it as best I possibly could from the baseball perspective um, and like the free agent perspective and all this stuff. And I basically just hardened my dark soul um, more than it already is. Um, and it kind of worked. So I think it's probably going to happen to you and I'm sad for you because Frankie Lindor is a gem. Um, enjoy him while you have him. Sammy James has the next question. He says, thoughts on Derwins and Hernandez becoming a hater Miller type left-handed bullpen guy. Obviously not the same level as those two immediately, but he had, I think he has potential in a role like that. I love this question. I absolutely think Derwins and Hernandez has that type of potential. The strikeout stuff with this kid is bananas. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um. And this is actually the role that we've kind of talked about um, even when he first came up um, because he was brought up as a starter. So we knew that he could kind of do those innings that I think we were kind of hoping that he was going to fall into. Um, and I don't think we've seen anything that really has changed our mind. Just uh, it's to harness the walks. And then he definitely could do that. Yeah, that's the big thing. And, and that also to kind of connect this again to his question, that's what plagued Andrew Miller early in his career too. And when he did finally get that dialed in, uh, he became the monster that was Andrew Miller. So um, I, I think it could definitely happen and happen pretty quick. Um, ben Jacobson has our next question. He says, why are the Red Sox not playing any of their regular guys in spring training yet? Like all the regular guys have gotten very limited work so far. Also, the way the Yankees' injuries have begun to pile up, should we regret not trying to win this year? Uh, so for the first one, um, the, the, Xander Bogarts has been dealing with an ankle thing. And yes, they've been playing the regulars a little bit less, but they're also getting a lot of extra work in, like not in games. Um, so that's not so much of a big deal, but his second point is actually interesting. And I've seen a lot of people who were anti the Mookie trade talking about this with how many injuries the Yankees have been dealing with. Um, is this anything that bothers you when you see injuries in the division? Does it make you think about that trade anymore, Keaton? No, because I guarantee you the Red Sox will have injuries too. Injuries happen. You can't really plan for them. Yeah, I agree. And also, we saw what the Yankees did last year with the amount of injuries that they had. Uh, and they were still, still won 100 games. Yeah. So, I mean, the depth <laughs> over there in the Bronx is stupid. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think about it much. Uh, Rich has our next question. Uh, it was a two-parter, um, but we consolidated it into one. He says, I feel like there's an underlying contingent of fans who think there's a chance the Sox actually come out hot and go for the wild card this year. But what I'm thinking is, uh, what if they hit July and they're 10 games under? Who would we be looking to move at the deadline? And for what? MLB-ready talent or longer-term prospects? I feel like this is a bit of a neglected issue because nobody wants to think of the worst. They aren't competitive every single year. Um, this is an interesting question. Uh, I think the obvious names here, Keaton, are J.D. Martinez, who has an opt-out that we think he is going to exercise. If they were really far behind, he could be a guy. Uh, yep. Jackie Bradley Jr. is an obvious one. Um, yep. Even Kevin Pillar could be an obvious one if someone needs a defensive replacement later in the year because he's on a one-year deal. Um, Same with Perez, then, right? Who? Perez. Martin Perez? Yes. Yeah. He, uh, he's got potential two-year deal, right? I don't remember. Was that like incentive something? 
I think there's an option for a second year in his deal, but I do agree with you that if he's pitching extremely well, he's not somebody that they would hesitate to move. Um, But I think the most interesting guy maybe, and I've actually talked about this with our uh, other friend who's actually now a member of Over the Monster, uh, Shelly Verstraight, about the possibility of Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, If they talk to Mm -hmm. Eduardo Rodriguez, and it doesn't seem like they are on the same page in terms of an extension with him, he would have a year and a half of control left at the trade deadline. And if he's pitching extremely well, given what the Red Sox know about his inconsistency um, over the course of his career with injuries and things like that, they could probably get a damn good haul for Eduardo Rodriguez, which could net them a tremendous amount of prospects and or major league pieces. So I think that Eduardo pitching well towards the deadline would get you more than even J.D. Martinez would get you. Yeah, he probably would because he's pitching and he's young. So, yeah, you're right. Do you see any other obvious names? Matt Barnes. Mm, That's a good one. That is a really good one. Matt Barnes strikes out damn near 100 guys every single year. Pitches in high leverage situations, and he's what going to be a free agent in a year? Yeah, and teams that are contending will look for those kind of guys. Like those are Matt Barnes is literally like the guy that gets moved a hundred times at the deadline to contending teams. So what about Workman? Someone will get him. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, you see him in that same boat. Um, I think Barnes has the better track record, so I think teams mm-hmm. are more interested in him. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't really shock me if either one of those two, because I think, or how much, uh, how much control is left on Workman? Workman, if he's traded at the deadline, would have a half a year left because I believe he's a free agent after this year. Yeah. Yeah. If they're not competing, I could definitely see that both of them getting moved. Barnes, I think would be, um, like a lock though. Barnes would get you more. Yeah. I agree. Um, all right. Next question comes from Drew Andre. And he says, what would the Red Sox record have to be to trade JBJ and Chavis for some controllable pitching? I assume he means at the deadline. What do you think they would have to have for a record at the deadline? How many games under 500? I don't know if that would matter. I think it would matter their position in terms of competing. Um, I mean, they could be... <clears throat> Three games over five hundred, but if there's seven teams between them in the last wild card spot, um, there's no point in trying to chase that down. But if they're if they're if there's only one team between them, that's more realistic. Then uh, they could probably hold on to to that. So I think it really just depends on where they are. Not necessarily what the record is or how many games under five hundred, just where they are in the grand scheme of competing for them to do it. But if the answer is they're not competing or that's the way it's trending, um, then I would think JBJ is almost a lock because he's just got one, or at that point he would have half of the year left to control. Um, And half the salary left too. Yeah. And Chavis I think would be harder because he has many more years of control. Um, And it would break my heart. But I guess uh, I would see more value in JBJ in teams competing and trading for half a season of JBJ than someone who would be trying to. I mean, I guess unless you paired them together. But I'm not like the kind of guy that gets moved at the deadline, but JBJ is for sure. Yeah, I agree. That defensive sure thing outfielder is some something that teams look for. Uh, at the deadline. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I did check on those players. We we had it right. It is Workman with uh, just one year left and Matt Barnes with his last arbitration year next year. So Matt Barnes has more control, like we said. Yeah. Um, Stefan ASU has our next question. He says, thoughts on Jaron Duran? Uh, where will we see him over the season, double AA, A, triple A, or the majors? And if majors win? Uh, I'll just reiterate that starting at double A, probably going to get some substantial time at triple A this year. Maybe majors if one of those outfielders get moves. 
gets moved. Yeah. Start in double A, definitely ends at triple, probably not in the majors unless something significant happens. Yep, 100%. Um, baby knees. That is a <laughs> weird name. Um, why not sign Puig to a one-year deal? Why not, Keaton? Well, because I don't think that um, what we're being told is the truth about... Uh... Damn it. I'm sorry I'm doing this to you, man. I know you're sick and tired of hearing this, but I don't think what the front office has been telling us about wanting to compete and put the best team out there is true, <laughs> and so they don't want to give Puig uh, $10 million whatever dollars it would take for him to come here for a year, but he would be a great fit if they were. Make a hell of a lot of sense. What if what if they're not signing Puig for the same reason the Indians aren't signing Puig, and all these other teams aren't signing Puig? Which is, which is they don't think Puig's that good, and they think he's a bad clubhouse guy. Like no one is signing him. It's not just the Red Sox. Yeah, I don't really understand it. I mean, there's got to be a reason, right? If if thirty clubs are not moving. Talent-wise, he should think that Puig would have a job by now. Yeah, you would. But, I mean, given the way that the offseason has moved the last couple of years, are you shocked that someone is still out there? I think I'm more shocked. I guess I'm shocked because... that someone his age and talent is still out there, considering the fact that guys did get paid this offseason. And, like, we saw some mid-level guys get paid, too. I'm more surprised with him versus other people that we've seen in the past offseason because he was traded. So he... Mm could not have been attached to a qualifying offer in a draft pick. So, mm, yeah. If you sign him, you don't have to give up a pick. You know I'm not a Puig guy, so this is... Yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> this is outside of my realm of, of too much care. I think... Um, this, this, this next one's tailor-made for you, Keaton, and I'm really counting on you for this one because I have nothing. Keaton, Keaton is probably much more of a joke guy than me. <laughs> um, Tierney has a question. She says, what's the best or worst Jeter on the Red Sox joke you've heard or seen so far? So that was, that was a lot of, of uh, buildup for, for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, don't, I mean, I don't really have anything. I, surprisingly, I haven't really seen a lot. The one thing I did see that uh, made me laugh quite a bit was um i don't know i think it was like a skit from had to be like saturday night live or something with um uh will ferrell in a red sox hat and he's staring at the camera just yelling jeter jeter came here for you (laughs) and so that that was that made me laugh jeter downs retweeted that too oh perfect yeah it was it was on his twitter for I think it's still up there, actually. Um, I heard a couple people saying, like, if, you know, uh, he makes, like, an all-star team in the future or for, like, fan week uh, when they change their names on the back, like, he should change his name to uh, Garcia Parra instead or or something like that to kind of, like, play with the fans. Um, It is hilarious. I mean, it's, it's so funny that the Red Sox have a guy named Jeter who's named after Derek Jeter on their team, but... Uh, I kind of like it. It's funny. It's very funny. It is. Uh, Paul Ski has our next question. He says, will Workman be ninth inning save specialist or will be he more of an Andrew Miller-esque fireman role? Uh, one of the more intimidating pitchers in the game. Um, nobody would ever charge them out. Yeah, Workman is a tough-looking dude um, with an absolute nasty curveball. I still see him being used as an extremely traditional closer type. Yeah, I I don't think the Miller esque fireman multi inning thing is the role that he is he should be playing at all. I don't think that fits him. And I mean, his walk issues are too extensive to put him out there for more than three outs. Totally agree. Um, and he thrives at the back end. He has the mentality for it. Uh, yeah, I I love Workman exactly where he is, and I think it's smart that Ron Renicky came in and immediately. Uh, affirmed that. Um, that's good. And we, we talked about this a lot last year on our podcast, how annoying it was that guys wouldn't be told exactly what their roles were. And lo and behold, when 
finally he took that job and Cora recognized, hey, this is his job. Everybody settled in and started pitching better. Yeah. And so we actually talked about Brendan Workman on today's uh, Dynasty's Child podcast. Hopefully uh, you folks listen to that if you play fantasy, uh, which will be out on Tuesday. And uh, Workman was a guy that I talked about being underrated. And something that I pointed out was uh, the Red Sox had two players in the top 10 in the MLB for blown saves last year. Barnes blew eight and Workman was the other one who blew six. But four of the six came before he actually had the closer job in July. Mm. Uh, And in the month of August, he was four for six in save situations. And in the month of September, he was seven for seven and didn't give up a run. So when he had that as his defined role and could kind of focus in on being the closer, he was wildly effective. His strikeout rate also went up and his walk rate also went down over those last two months. He was phenomenal. Also fun fact. Like one of the best closers in all of baseball when he was the closer. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree with you. I really hope massive. he carries that over. Um, all right. Zach has our next and second to last question. He says, is Hauk our fifth starter? So obviously, you know, we don't think that Hauk is the fifth starter because uh, you've listened to the podcast this far. But Zach, man, I would love that. Um, and Hauk pitched really well today. So I wanted to just bring up his pitching line um, against the Braves, who were playing a lot of regulars. Um, by the time he was in the game, a lot of them were out. But still, um, Hauk threw three innings pitched, uh, just allowed two hits, struck out three, walked one, and allowed no earned runs. Uh, Mr. Hauk has looked good this spring. I would definitely support him over Brian Johnson. So it was a little bit of a peek behind the curtain um, for the Over the Monster roundtable that's coming out next. I actually wrote about Hauk and how he could be this this guy coming out of spring training. So uh, you'll be able to read my thoughts about that on that next roundtable. That, that, I didn't even know we got a next roundtable. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Excellent. Red Sox roundtable. Look for it. Um, all right. Last question here. Uh, Coach Murphy, he says, we need another starter. Heard any rumors about that? Who could we target? Yeah, I think it's internal. Yep. We definitely feel it is internal. I think at this point, I don't think there's anybody left out there. No. No. Nope. <laughs> Keaton, that is our show. We have finished, and we do hope all of you enjoyed it. If you did, please take the time to not only subscribe to the show, if you haven't already, um, tell your friends and your family and anybody who's a Red Sox fan, even your enemies, if they're Red Sox fans, to enjoy this show. Um, You know, if you have time, too, write us a review. We would love that. Uh, We always appreciate nice reviews. Uh, you can find us on any platform, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We are everywhere. And we are also on Twitter, Keaton and I. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find me at, at DevJake. And you can find the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. So we appreciate you joining us today. And we will be with you next week. <laughs>